You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark Towner, good morning. Good morning. It's, uh, it's The Beltway Briefing. We're back. No Caitlin, no Patrick. And uh, a lot going on, a lot going on. Obviously, we had the Supreme Court turning, overturning Roe versus Wade last week. We had um, historic gun legislation uh, signed into law. Um, so it, it feels like we're living in a world where just, well, obviously, we're living in a world where a lot's happening, but we're also living in a world where the, some of the things that are happening don't go together. And how do, you know, I think people listen to this because they think sometimes on occasion, Mark, we, we, we make sense of what's going on in the world. So what the I heck is going on I, in the world? I do think we've been right more than we've been wrong, but, but we have been wrong along the way. And making sense of where we are now is is, is a challenge. You know, it, it's just multi-dimensional. You've got you've got in real time a uh, demonstration of the three branches of government working and doing their jobs and not necessarily meshing. I think is your point, Howard, on on how it's confusing on the same day to get a very strong Second Amendment opinion from the Supreme Court and historic gun reform legislation uh, from Congress and the president uh, advocating for even more. So a lot lot of cross currents. I think uh, as an electoral matter, going mm-hmm. to the politics of where we are, I do think that both the uh, gun control and the Second Amendment and and the abortion decisions are are going to matter in November. Whether it's a lot or a little remains to be seen. But but it was a a consequential yeah. week electorally. That's the question I'm getting from from friends, yeah. from clients, from family. Is Towner, how much yeah. of a difference does this make in the fall? Which, by the way, my personal feeling on that is that that's an incredibly short sighted way to look at this. Like, this isn't a, you're talking about legal precedent that's been out there for 45 years. Like, I don't really I care what happens in the fall a lot, but. Like so, what if it impacts one election? This is about the long term and and constitutional rights, and so. But but nonetheless, that is the question we're getting. And what what are your thoughts on that, Towner? Yeah, I mean, I I think I've been pretty consistent throughout this entire thing. After the leaked draft opinion, after uh, even after Uvalde, I've been pretty consistent in saying I don't think any of this is going to matter in November one iota. I mean, I I wasn't thinking about abortion and guns for for a little while this weekend, and and that little while was when I drove to the gas station, and paid six dollars for a gallon of gas uh, in Washington D.C. and and uh, you know it's it is what it is. I mean, it's inflation is 
uh, I think in most situations is sucking up all the oxygen in the room. If this if this decision had happened the week before election day, I think it would have an impact for sure. Uh, is it going to have an impact on motivation of voters ultimately in November? Absolutely it is. But I think, quite frankly, there are going to be more voters. Those swing voters are more likely going to associate themselves uh, with economic issues at the end of the day in November than they will with, with guns or with abortion or any of these items in particular. The thing is, I feel like this makes, particularly the the um, abortion decision, it makes the red states redder and the blue states bluer. It further divides the country, literally divides the country geographically, because if you live in a place where you have access, you have access. And if you live in a place where you don't, you don't. Yeah. And, yeah, but don't don't underestimate the Second Amendment decision in that regard. That, too, is further dividing the country geographically. And I think in a funny way, not funny, none of this is, is amusing, but the Second Amendment issue, in, in a sense, impacts everybody in a way that the abortion issue doesn't. We all care on one side or the other of the abortion issue. But the the Second Amendment issue, every, everybody is now going to be out there in a world where anyone can carry a concealed weapon. Yeah. And that that is at least not uh, discriminating uh, uh, between rich and poor, black and white, in, 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 a, in a way that the abortion decision impacts disproportionately certain populations. We are all now in a world where the guy at uh, your hockey game, Towner, yeah. can carry a concealed weapon and there's nothing that uh, Maryland or wherever you play can, yeah. can do about it. Well, I don't disagree with you in any way, Mark, but nobody knows what that gun decision was because the Dobbs decision happened, you know, 24 well, hours later. And, yeah. and there was. I, well, I, but, yeah. but it's the again, as an electoral matter, I'm in the uh, in the awkward position of actually agreeing with you and Howard here. So I'm going to have to find something <laughs> to argue about. I think the immediacy of the election is masking Howard uh, to a degree the long-term implications of both decisions. I yeah. agree with you there. And Towner, it's the economy, stupid. The best hope for the Democrats in November, and it's a it, it's a Hail Mary hope, uh, remains that gas prices have peaked. And that by election day, it's four dollars, not six dollars. I agree with you, but but I'm not trying to diminish the issues by any stretch no, of the imagination. No, yeah. but but the most recent example, uh, which is different, I yield. Of course, it's different. But you know, at this point in 2018, I don't think the Democrats thought. I know we didn't think we were going to pick up 40 seats, and then the Kavanaugh hearings happened. And whatever you think about whose fault who that was, everybody agrees that didn't go well. You know, we I think we went from 20 some seats to 40 seats with the energy of the Kavanaugh issue. Now, this, 
this is different. The incumbent's a Democrat. Gas is at six dollars. It's 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 different, but but it's a powerful issue. It's a, the the court is a it has motivated your side far more intensely for for election after election. Yeah, I mean that was forty five years of motivation that ebbed and flowed. You know, over the course yeah. of that forty five yeah. years, for sure. Yeah, I think also, and and we were talking about this uh, in in an, a previous podcast. I think this was post leaked opinion, but it's not just the federal elections. Governors now, governors are are ground zero for abortion rights. After look at Pennsylvania, look at Pennsylvania. It's- exactly. I don't, yeah. Gas can be, you know, gas at ten dollars a gallon would be a real problem for the Democratic nominee Josh Shapiro. Gas at six dollars a gallon is a real problem for him. But, but in Pennsylvania, the legislature will be Republican. It will put on the governor's desk in January of 2023 a very restrictive abortion uh, bill. And it will either become law or not, depending on who wins the gubernatorial election. So so this is I think it's shining a brighter light on on some of these gubernatorial elections. But I guess my view first on the election is candidate quality matters far more than the court's decision than any of the court decisions. First of all, second of all, in the longer term, I literally think this is going to impact where people choose to live. And like, you know, I, I just, if I if, was having that discussion yesterday, Howard, with with some friends, the I I, I think unfortunately that um, the people who can't afford an abortion in a post-Dobbs world can't afford to move either. I, yes, that's why I say there's a, I have none of, all this is yeah, very but, but But Mark, just because uh, that's not what I'm saying, it's not that the people who are, this is absolutely regressive and it absolutely, in my opinion, impacts um, disadvantaged populations more than anybody else because anybody with money can afford to fly someplace where it's legal and do what they need to do. Um, But that's not what I'm saying. It's people of means are going to choose to live in place regardless of the access. They're going to choose to live in places (laughs) where they think their rights are consistent with you know, one of the three people on this call may be an example of that, depending on which way the gubernatorial election goes. But no, I, I, that's a very fair point. Democrats of means already live in California, <laughs> Illinois, and New York. All right. So, well, <laughs> yeah, but no, 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 no. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is, you got a few the point is, are they going to, the point is, are they going to want to live in Pennsylvania? Are right. they going to want to live in North Carolina? It's and I think it's going to have the effect of making that's why I say blue, bluer and red, redder. No, I think that's that's fair. Back back on the election just for one minute. There's another 
sense in which uh, I'm going to agree with Towner. I don't know that you said this, but I'm sure you think it. Um, <laughs> that never stopped you from putting words in anybody's <laughs> Anytime mouth. you want to agree yeah, with me. Towner, me. I agree with you when you said, uh, you know, I think the issues, both guns and abortion, will energize Democrats. But there is no world in which that energy translates into protection of reproductive rights in the United States Congress. Even if it helps with suburban women in some close, in some contested districts, there is zero chance that we ever get to 60 Democrats in the Senate. And therefore, the idea that we're going to codify a right to abortion is, I'm all for it, but you, we're, ne- we're never... Who says, you need, who says you need 60 votes? Well, that's that's exactly the case. I mean, you know, I, I, I well, still... And, right, you can, yeah, you, you can uh, remove the filibuster. Yeah, And that may not be a present day reality. Sorry, Towner, but it's but it's potentially a who who knows? Who knows? Picking up if Democrats go to 5248 in the Senate, there's a prayer of of removing the filibuster. That's that's what I'm saying. This is not about that's November. This is to me. This is yes. This has electoral implications in November. But anybody that's thinking about what this means in the short term is missing the point. Like you said, Tanner, this is a 45-year issue, and it is a 45-year issue. Like, this is going to play itself out over time, and that's my—and I think it's going to play itself out in ways that we can't even anticipate right now, potentially including—I think it's going to have profound long-term structural electoral consequences. Well, and it's going to have more than structural electoral consequences. This is is the type of issue where the filibuster would be removed if there were 50 uh, plus the VP like-minded Democratic senators to be able to do it. I don't think Susan Collins or Murkowski would go for removal of the filibuster as a result of this particular issue, unless it was very narrowly tailored. But the bottom line is not only is this issue going to have immediate consequences? It could have long-term procedural consequences because if this is the issue on which the filibuster is removed from the United States Senate, then our legislative branches changes as a whole. Uh, The Senate changes as a whole as a result of this one issue. And so it could be a linchpin to a number of different changes. Well, and I got to tell you, though, without going... On, on too much of a detour into the legal weeds, even if in some future world you codified a right to uh, abortion, which would mean you pass a bill that says the states cannot interfere with a woman's right to choose, I don't know that this Supreme Court upholds that. That it, it is. It is a really steep climb to get back to abortion rights in in light of the Dobbs decision. Yeah, this gets into constitutional rights and what is and is not a constitutional right. And we can argue this all day. I mean, this Supreme Court is going to look at constitutional rights as those contained in the Constitution and in the previously passed amendments. Yeah, I think for this Supreme Court to view uh, uh, the right to choose as a as a right 
uh, of the citizenry from well, a federal standpoint, then it would have to be done in a constitutional amendment is my personal feeling. Yeah, no, that's what I'm I'm saying. I, I don't think this Supreme Court would find that Congress has the authority under the Commerce Clause or any other part of the Constitution to create this right. But but we aren't we aren't going to live in that world anytime soon, because I don't I don't know how it gets through Congress. Even if you remove the filibuster, you obviously need a Democratic House. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a Republican House, very likely. Uh, I still think Democrats are going to pick up a seat or two, quite frankly, in the Senate. I've been saying that for a while. I'm going to continue on that message because Republicans don't have the right candidates. But that still means that nothing's going to happen on this issue for two years. The Senate will vote. They'll probably remove the filibuster uh, for the purposes of of voting on this particular issue if Democrats have a, uh, you know, 52 seat majority uh, in the Senate. But it's going nowhere in the Republican House. And as a result of that, uh, 2024 becomes, once again, the most consequential election of our lifetimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 The well, Supreme Court also, Howard, just to drop a, a, an, another note, uh, that, again, the abortion was a total eclipse of the sun. It even eclipsed the Second Amendment decision, which itself eclipsed a couple of uh, First Amendment decisions on religious rights where the court is obviously uh, choosing the free exercise of religion, which is a clause of the First Amendment, of course, over competing considerations, including establishment of of, a, of religion. The, the separation of church and state is... is being eroded by the uh, triumph of the First uh, Amendment free exercise clause. There's just a lot that happened last week. Yeah. And there's more to come this week. Yeah. Yeah. It's only June, whatever. Thanks for that, Tanner. That's uplifting. There's still Um, another six or seven decisions that are coming this week. Well, there is a hugely consequential decision on the uh, administrative authority to interpret statutes. So somebody said to me this weekend, hanging out with a bunch of friends, and one of them said, these people are nothing more than politicians disguised as judges. What do you guys think about that? Well, they all went to law school, so that distinguishes them from some politicians. I mean, the... Yes, it was no. an exercise of political will more than judicial authority that caused the uh, Dobbs decision. Their policy so, make. I mean, sometimes, yeah. like yeah. there have been many instances in which I think the court has shown judicial restraint, like on the Affordable Care Act decisions, mm-hmm. um, where they are very where they are very judicious in their, what they, what they get into and how they act. And I think clearly justice Roberts in this, in the, in the Dobbs decision tried to slice it a certain way. Um, It's, but I can't help, but agree with that sentiment that, that this is, I mean, it yeah judicial philosophy, but they were, I don't know. I I agree with that. Uh, 
it's what Towner said. All I'm doing is agreeing with Towner here. This is <laughs> we got to do better. Oh, next oh don't week. worry, Mark. I'll say a couple things next <laughs> yeah. that you won't agree with. <laughs> yeah, we got to do better next week. But On no, the flip it, side. It was, but it was a 45-year political campaign. Yeah. That that put those justices on the court to make this decision. So yeah. in that sense, it was absolutely yeah. political. Well, it's just, I, I, God, Tanner. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's twofold. I think it's first, yes, presidents are going to nominate judges that are closely aligned with their beliefs and thinkings on particular issues. That's never going to change moving forward. They're never, no Republican's going to choose a Democratic uh, leaning judge on various issues and vice versa. But in addition to that, you know, you could make the case that Roberts is actually the most political of all nine justices uh, because they are because Roberts is going out and reading public opinion and trying to morph an opinion into what he thinks is going to upset the apple a, cart the least, but maybe a little bit. That's a political thing. He's an institutionalist, although, Towner, I, I completely disagree with your point about justice uh, presidents appointing justices that share their view i think there are lots of justices over time who have been appointed who don't share the president's view particularly on this issue uh, well this is a this is a post 70s issue more than yeah. anything else post 1970s yeah. presidents are going to nominate justices that yeah but be- sandra day o'connor anthony kennedy i mean yeah. and those were surprises and and quote-unquote failures to this day Justice Souter. Yeah. Fair enough. But and and by the way, I believe that Joe Biden personally um, is anti-abortion. Politically, he's pro-choice, but personally, he's anti-abortion. I also believe the opposite is true. I believe that these Donald Trump could care less. He's probably paid for abortions. (laughs) <laughs> in his life. I mean, I would bet a lot of well, money. Well, one more thing. And I know I, I shouldn't say that. On. <laughs> What's that? One more thing I agree with you on. Yeah. I, <laughs> I know I shouldn't say that on a public podcast, but. Especially because he's very litigious. <laughs> the, the, the irony is thick. Yeah. The irony Absolutely. is thick here that Donald Trump is the president who could care less. He's probably personally as pro-choice as they come. He could care less about this issue as a policy matter. He cares about it only as a political matter. And it's just ironic that he's the guy that put these justices on the court. Absolutely. Um, On the flip side, it's we got a gun bill. And that's why it's, it's just so hard to make sense of this world. We got a gun bill. We got a bipartisan mark. It may not. You're wincing. It may not no, be. No. It may not be the gun bill that all Democrats want. No, but nor is it the gun bill that all Republicans want, which is no gun bill. Okay. <laughs> we got a gun bill. We got infrastructure last year. We may get a bipartisan China bill coming soon. Like, yeah, I. I it's bipartisanship is not completely dead, and it's just that's why it's so hard to make sense of the world. Uh, yeah. if, if we get the China my, bill, my, 
Lindsay on the gun bill, by the way, was I think it was an absolutely historic piece of legislation, not even though so much for the little bit it did on gun reform, but to get Democrats and Republicans to agree in this inflationary environment where this is the part, Howard, where you get to say you told me that spending money. Yeah. But but. $8 billion for community mental health centers in that gun bill is historic and and will actually help make life a little bit better for a lot of people in this country. Again, there's four or five issues where there's a ton of drama, there's a ton of noise, there's a ton of disagreement, and then everything else is still moving. Not only did we get a bipartisan gun bill, not only is the China bill potentially moving, the appropriations process is on track. The defense authorization bill is going to be going through the House floor. We got almost completed now a bipartisan Water Resources Development Act that has had no press whatsoever on it. We have uh, almost completed now uh, and, and competing drafts of a privacy bill. We have a uh, retirement bill uh, that's still under negotiation between the House and Senate that nobody's been talking about that would fundamentally change uh, to the benefit, to the positive, to the benefit of employees, how retirement accounts are set up in this country. There's a lot of things happening. The good part about our business, to a certain extent, over the course of the last 20 years is if you're not one of those top four or five issues that's, that's in the public domain, the negotiations are happening. The process is working. Legislation's being completed. Uh, it's just nobody from an electoral standpoint gets to see those wins very often, unfortunately. And if I'm Joe Biden in the next few months, I mean, I think you guys are right that $6 a gallon gas kind of takes away his ability to to say anything, to, it takes away, it obscures everything, everything. Uh, I totally agree with that. On the flip side, like if we get this China bill done and he can stand up and say, I got a bipartisan gun bill during my tenure, bipartisan infrastructure bill, a bipartisan gun bill, and a bipartisan competition with China bill, like that's, a, that's actually a pretty darn good. Record. Record. Yeah. It would mean that despite himself, he actually came to Washington and got some bipartisan things done. Yeah. And and that's a record. That that would be a record to run on. But that's a whole different discussion about when he's going to announce that he's running for re-election. We can yeah. do that time. Right. I mean, it has everything to do with inflation. Unfortunately, what's going to happen is eventually inflation is going to come down, but it's going to come down because the economy is contracting and people just run out of runway to spend money. And so that's what's ultimately the supply demand imbalance is going to come back into balance. And that's good. But the economy is going to have to cool. And so he's got to be damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. But you know, yeah, there's a timing element to announcing a reelect, and we'll see what happens. Months ago, inflation and gas prices were better. They weren't good. Four months from now, if if we've peaked and things are coming back down, maybe. 
Maybe there's, yeah. there's, there's a chance. They're going to, and they are going to come back down, but the economy is going to be in the tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. That's the only way to deal with inflation. Right. I mean, but again, in the shortest of short terms, just looking at November, the economy prices may have started to come down before the economy crashes. But it's not going to crash. But I don't think in any way meaningfully such that it's going to impact the election. It's not like prices are. No, going to fall I, I'm like. still planning on relying on Towner come January to get things done in the House. <laughs> there, <laughs> yeah. I think we know who the next speaker no, is. The House is a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Anyway, gosh, no shortage of topics, guys, but. A good spirited discussion as always. We will not be back next week because nope. it is the 4th of July. So a happy 4th, a good day to um, celebrate our country and, and try to think about the good things and, and focus on the bigger picture because we sure do need that. Um, and we'll be back in, in July for a few episodes before an August break and fun as always, guys. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.